<laughs> oh, so we're going? Yep. Oh, all right. Hey. Hey, everybody. We're back. This is DJ... Oh, God, these reading glasses. This is DJ Crystal Clear here in the world-famous As It Should Be Studios with the owner and proprietor <laughs> and engineer extraordinaire, Dr. Paul Bertolino. Whoa, shit. Yes. And it is a dreary day in Crooklyn, but I'm going to make it sunnier. We are here with episode number 29, and our first song is called Mad World, originally recorded by the band Tears for Fears from the album The Hurting that was released in 1982, and I have two covers for this. <laughs> the first one is done by Gary Jules and Michael Andrews. And it's from the soundtrack for the movie Donnie Darko that came out in 2001. Oh. And a lot of people have heard this and really like it. Like, it, it went beyond the movie. I never saw the movie. Did you? Yeah, I haven't seen the movie. I had a friend who was just absolutely desperate for me to see it, and I, and I still never got around to it. <laughs> I still refuse. And then the second cover is by Demi Lovato from her 2021 album called Dancing with the Devil, The Art of Starting Over. So the original version, uh, it was written on acoustic guitar when Roland Orzabal was 19 after being inspired to write a new wave song in the vein of Duran Duran's Girls on Film, which obviously this is not. Uh, after a few false starts with uh, doing himself on vocals, he suggested that Smith sing it, and suddenly it sounded fabulous, as he said. Uh, Mad World was intended to be the B-side for the band's second single, Pale Shelter, You Don't Give Me Love. But the recording company stated that Mad World could be a single in its own right, so they re-recorded it with producers Ross Cullum and Chris Hughes, who was a drummer for Adam and the Ants. And uh, Roland has said, that came when I lived above a pizza restaurant in Bath, and I could look out into the center of the city. Not that Bath is very mad. I should have called it Bourgeoisie World. And Chris, uh, sorry, Kurt Smith said, Mad World was the first single off the finished album. The intention was to gain attention from it, and we'd hopefully build up a little following. We had no idea it would become a hit, nor did the record company. So there's one thing about this song. Uh, Kurt Smith's ad-lib in the final chorus resulted in a Mondegreen, uh, and Smith clarified the actual lyric in 2010. With Mad World's again resurgent popularity, I'm getting asked more frequently about the last line on the album version uh, from The Hurting, which I occasionally also sing in concert. The actual line is, Hal Halagrian world, not illogical world, raunchy young world, enlarging your world, or a number of other interesting, if not amusing, guesses. The real story, Halarge, 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 <laughs> is Hala, an Arge was an imaginary planet invented by either Chris Hughes or Ross Column during the recording of The Hurting. I added it as a joke on the lead vocal session and we kept it. So there you have it. So it's just an inside joke. Total inside joke that has had people confused for decades. Um, and the song was influenced by the theories of Arthur Janov, who was the author of the book The Primal Scream. The lyric, the dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had, suggests that dreams of intense experiences such as death will be at best at releasing tension. Which sort of makes sense, but... Not really? I don't know. John Lennon was into that primal scream with Yoko Ono, so there you go. So the covers. Uh, Medworld achieved a second round of success 20 years after its release when it was covered by Michael Andrews and Gary Jules for that movie, Donnie Darko. Uh, the Tears for Fears version had synths and heavy percussion, and these two dudes stripped it down. So it's just a couple of piano chords a Mellotron that imitates a cello, light touches of electric piano, and a modest use of, use of a vocorder on the chorus. It's very spare, it's very dark, it's very creepy, which falls in line with that movie. I still haven't seen that movie, and I'm going to refuse to watch it. Why is that? Because, like a lot of things that people are always crowing about oh it's so great oh my god you haven't seen it i can't believe you haven't seen it and that just makes me mad <laughs> i'm 
so I, I refuse to see it. Plus, what's his name directed it? That kid I can't stand. Harmony Corinne? Corinne? Whatever his name is. Oh, fuck, I don't know. Yeah, and I don't want to see that rabbit mask. It's creepy. Um, so, yeah, it was a hit for them, uh, 2003. And then the cover by Demi Lovato... Uh, she basically did what those two dudes did, but with different gobbledygook in the background. There's all these weird electronic, like, booms and zooms, some sonar-sounding thing, trying to make it sort of creepy, and... Ugh. Yeah. But I can see why fans would love it, because they obviously don't know shit from Shinola. They don't know about Tears for Fears. And think that she wrote it, of course. And this girl is one of these young stars... I think was she a Disney person? I think maybe, and so she had she was addicted to drugs, had a breakdown, was in and out of rehab eight hundred times. That and, sounds like your average modern Disney girl, right? And now <laughs> she she operates under what she calls "I'm California sober," quote unquote, meaning not sober, meaning not sober at all. Yeah, so. I admire her bravery and talking about her shit to get kids to understand, like, not everything is fantastic, and even a celebrity like me can have a nervous breakdown. Um, but she's still a fucking mess. So, we're gonna listen to these and then pick a winner. everybody again because you're not here in the studio with us so you can't i <laughs> when we go away to listen to this i play it on my iphone through the mic paul has his headphones on so we can hear these cover versions that he hasn't heard <laughs> if, if i haven't heard if them. he hasn't heard them yeah and um yeah so i play them and then i turn them off once he rolls his eyes <laughs> or says something like oh shit or oh fuck or Spare me. Spare me, yeah, something distressful. And so you lasted uh, 15 seconds for the first cover and then 14 for the second cover. Yeah. Well, well, it turned out the second one I had actually, or the first of the two covers I'd actually heard. Okay. And uh, I already knew that I hated that. And then the second one, (laughs) 
Oh, oh. yeah. Demi Lovato. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, the second one's basically the same thing, just a, uh, just a, with the female voice. Right. Yeah. Um... California sober. So obviously Tears for Fears wins. Oh Jesus fucking by Christ. leaps and bounds. Yeah. Uh but this is a song where unless you're gonna unless you're gonna make it a reggae song or something, you kinda have to stick to the arrangement. You can't really you can't really go that far. Well, no, they stray. do it. They do it differently from Oh yeah, Tears but for it's Fears, but they just they just both do it the exactly same the same. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, instead of synthesizers, it's a piano, you know, instead of this, it's a that, uh, which is fine. But this, what I'm saying is, is that I don't think that they're great covers because they're basically the same, especially together. Yeah. Yeah. They're awful. Yeah. And if you ha- do not have that Tears for Fears album, you have to get it because it's one of the best records ever for, I mean, let alone like new wave 80s. It's so fucking good. The hurting. It's great. My college roommate, and who continues to be my best friend, Diane Amatruda Tui, turned me on to that record when we went to college in 1983. All right, so our second song is a song that I hate. I hate it. Oh, I hate it so much. It's called Me and Bobby McGee. And the original, do you know who the original was done by? Chris Christopherson, the man who wrote it. Nope. Nope. It was Roger Miller. Well, okay, well, Chris Christopherson wrote it. Oh, yeah, he wrote it. He, but he gave it to Roger Miller. He gave Miller it to first, Roger so. Miller, yeah. So Roger Miller recorded it in 1969, and Chris Christopherson did it in 1970 from his album Christopherson. Right. And then, of course, the reason why I hate this song is because Janis Joplin covered it from her album Pearl in 1971. And there's a Grateful Dead cover, which I will not play because. I hate the Grateful Dead. Sorry, Jeff Gordon. But anyhow, um, so the original, it was written by Chris Christopherson and Fred Foster shares writing credit. <laughs> You're going to say Fred Flintstone. <laughs> Fred Flintstone. Uh, some dude named Fred Foster, Christopherson, made sure that he got partial writing credit on this. He must have done something. I don't know what he yeah, did. Maybe he added a couple thes in there. Uh, yeah. Suggestion for the title was a cordial challenge from producer and Monument Records founder Fred Foster to Christopherson. The titular character was named for a studio secretary, Barbara Bobby McKee, but Christofferson had misheard her surname. He explained that he was trying to convey the despair of the last scene of Federico Fellini's La Strada, in which a broken, war-torn, inebriated Anthony Quinn stares up from the beach at the night stars. Does that any of that make any sense? Uh, well, it certainly doesn't make me think of the lyrics of me and Bobby McGee. No. I mean, La Strada, that's Fellini movie. I don't, Chris Christopherson must have been doing some really good drugs. Um, and this might be the first gender-neutral country song. Who knows? So the song is a story of two drifters. The narrator is Bobby McGee. Uh, the pair hitch a ride from a truck driver, and they sing as they drive through the American South. They visit California and then part ways, with the song's narrator expressing the sadness afterwards. Due to the singer's name never being mentioned, and the name Bobby being gender neutral, especially in America, the song has been recorded by both male and female singers with only minor differences in the l- lyrical content. So it might be the first gender neutral country song. How about that? Forging new trails there, Christopherson. Right? How about it? Um, so, Roger Miller, who records the original one, uh, it's, you know, I think most people know who Roger Miller is and are familiar with him. It's completely countrified, like Kentucky Fried Chicken countrified. Uh, it's super stiff. To me, it lacks any emotion. And it's super boring. And it sounds like everybody in the recording studio during the chorus was drunk, drunkity drunk, drunk. So, there's that. Now, the covers, Kenny Rogers and the first edition. Uh, The production is filled with a zillion things and takes off immediately with his vocal. Another super country country song, slightly bluegrassy. He's using his upper register, and there are 55 people doing backing vocals. Uh, The cadence for me me and Bobby McGee is not what we're used to hearing. To me, it sounds like it's kind of hee-haw-ish, which I'm not completely mad at because I love hee-haw, but it's a little 
Honky Tonky, maybe? I don't know. And then the Janis Joplin version. It was released posthumously on that Pearl record. And it topped the singles charts, uh, the U.S. singles chart in 71. And um, making it the second posthumously released number one single in the U.S. chart history. After Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. So she recorded the song for inclusion on the Pearl album a few days before she died in October of 1970. Christofferson had sung the song for her, and the singer Bob Neuwirth taught it to her. Christofferson did not know she had recorded it until after she died. And the first time he heard her recording was the day after. So this song has been played way too much, which is why I hate it. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I enjoy Janis Joplin, but it's just something about this, this song. I just, I can't stand it. I, yeah. I well, you know it. what it is? Is the songs like this make me think of all the Janis Joplin wannabes? You know, yeah. all, all the white girls, you know, singing in bar bands who basically think they're Janis Joplin. Joplin right. And it's just like, oh. Yeah. Enough already. It's overplayed on jukeboxes and bars, and it's just. It's too fucking long. All that at the end. All that vamping. I can't take it. Um, other recordings of the song were done by covers, rather. Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, The Grateful Dead, Loretta Lynn, Gordon Lightfoot, Gordon Lightfoot, Dolly Parton, Olivia Newton John, Johnny Cash, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Have you ever heard any of those? Oh, pro- maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested to see that, or hear that, rather. Um, so, <laughs> you've heard all of these, right? Have you heard all of these? I've probably heard the Roger Miller one, Roger but Miller. Let's, 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 I don't know, let's, let's have a listen. Let's listen. Let's have a listen. Busted flat in Baton Rouge and heading for the trains. Feeling nearly faded as my jeans Bobby thumbed a diesel down Just before it rained Took us all the way to New Orleans And I took my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana And was born sad while Bobby sang the blues with them windshield wipers slapping time and Bobby clapping hands, we finally sang every song that driver knew. Whoa, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing ain't worth nothing but it's free. Whoa, feeling good was easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues. Was good enough for me Bobby McGee From the coal mines of Kentucky To the California sun Bobby shared the secrets of my soul Standing right beside me, Lord Everything I'd done Every night she kept me from the cold One day up near Selena's home I let him slip away He's looking for that home And I hope he finds it But I train all of my tomorrows For one single yesterday To be holding Bobby's body next to mine Okay, and we're back. So, uh, so, <laughs> so, what do you think? Who, who do you like the best? Well, this is a tough one because I am also 
dead ass fucking sick of that Janis Joplin version. Yeah. So really, the only thing I can do is just sort of put that aside and go, which one do I think is the best one? And honestly, I think hers is the best one. I if I was somebody asked me which one I'd rather listen to right now, I would rather listen to the Christopherson one. Yeah. But. Uh, but I do. I think Janis Joplin's is the best. I'm just fucking so tired of it. I can, I understand why you're saying this, because Chris, to me anyway, Christofferson's and Roger Miller's, they're both very stiff. Well, Roger Miller is super stiff, and Chris Christofferson, like you said, he sounds like he's talking to somebody, but he's like by himself well, in the studio. But he's actually singing on key on this, which is very uh, very rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. commendable. It's good of him. But Janice's, it's, you know, it's more snappy-peppy, and it's got more action because there's a whole band, and it's a thing. There's, there's more emotion in it. There's more, there's more soul in it. There's yeah. just more. There's a lot more happening. And in terms of... The thing about that record, that whole, that whole album and that version, is that that record wasn't finished. So who knows if like if she had lived to finish that record the way she wanted, that may not have even been the vocal that would have been on that track. Track, yeah, that's true. I well, I agree with you. It's the best version, but I can't stand hearing it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I don't ever want to. I would never ever put it on and listen to it. Mm-mm. But no. and again, like I said, I would choose probably to put on Christopherson's version, maybe just for the freshness of it. Right. Because the. The Roger Miller's, Miller one sucks. Yeah, it's outright. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so I would never, I wouldn't put that on, even if I'm not, quote unquote, sick of it. You know. Yeah, I agree. All right, Dolly, uh, Dolly, Jesus Christ, Janice wins. All right, and the reason why I said Dolly Parton is because song number three is Jolene. Oh shit! And that uh, was uh, recorded by Dolly Parton from the album Jolene in 1973. And I have two covers here. The first one is by Olivia Newton-John. Done in 1976 from her album Come On Over. And the second cover I have is by your favorite, White Stripes. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) It came out in 2004 from an album called Under Blackpool Lights, which is live from Blackpool in England, uh, you know, festival or whatever. Right. So the original is a song written and performed by Dolly Parton. It was produced by Bob Ferguson, recorded at RCA Studio B in Nashville, Tennessee in 1973, and it was released that October by RCA Victor as the first single and title track from her album of the same name. The song was ranked number 217 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time in 2004. And according to Parton, is her most covered song. More than I Will Always Love You. And uh, also according to her, the song was inspired by a red-headed bank clerk who flirted with her husband, Carl Dean, at his bank, local bank branch around the time they were newly married. In an interview, she also revealed that Jolene's name and appearance are based on that of a young fan who came on stage for her autograph. The thumb-picked guitar on the recording is done by Chip Young, and uh, she wrote this on the same day she wrote "I Will Always Love You." That was a <laughs> that was a very fruitful day. The banner day. She's, she's living right now. Off, <laughs> Those right two this songs. Very alone. moment. That, that that day has supported her for decades. Yes, yes. Um, so the covers, the Olivia Newton-John cover, it's it's sped up. And it has these weird flange noises in the background, which is strange. Uh, spare and quiet instrumentation. Her vocal is really loud up front. And it has these crazy sweeping strings and loud guitar. It's a very weird arrangement. And I can almost, yeah, I can just imagine. Yeah, and the White Stripes, well, it's the White Stripes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to say any more about that. So now we're going to listen to these and then say that Dolly Parton wins.
can just because you can Your beauty is beyond compare With flaming locks of auburn hair With ivory skin and eyes of emerald green Your smile is like a breath of spring Your voice is soft like summer rain And I cannot compete with you, Jolene Talks about you in his sleep And there's nothing I can do to keep from crying When he calls your name Jolene And I can easily understand How you could easily take my man But you don't know what he means to me, Jolene Well, uh, Paul, you lasted, uh, you, <laughs> you're a trooper. So, yeah, uh, 35 seconds for the Olivia Newton-John and 45 for the White Stripes. I, I stuck it out. You did. I went in for the long haul. You I decided, sure yeah. You did. I'm surprised, especially for the White Stripes. So, uh, obviously Dolly Parton wins this, hands down. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. The Olivia Newton-John, uh, that was recorded in 76, so to me it's kind of like a low-key disco thing. Well, you know what's funny about it is it has a little bit of, uh, you know, 90s young country vibe to it. Yeah. Like, I had to, when that came on, I'm like, wait, is this some, because I thought this is not the 70s Olivia Newton-John John. version. This has to be some other version that I didn't hear her mention. And then Olivia Newton-John's voice comes in, I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. It's it's very odd, like you can hear the that weird flangy shit in the background, and then her uh, her modulation is very hillbilly. Look, she's a good yodeler, Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, well, you know those down home Australians. <laughs> so weird. And the White Stripes, you know, it's Jack White doing his Jack White thing. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's easier just to say sucking. It's, it's, he's doing. He's sucking. <laughs> he's sucking. So yeah. So Dolly Parton wins that. I. And again, it's another song that, unless you make it a reggae song, you can't. Like, how are you going to change it? That's going to make it palatable. How about an ironic pop punk version? Well, <laughs> by Me Too and the Gimme Gimmies. <laughs> I did look for one, but I couldn't find one. All right, song number four is Hallelujah. And the original was done by Leonard Cohen from the album Various Positions that came out in 1984. And then the two covers I have here, John Cale from the album I'm Your Fan that came out in 1991, and Jeff Buckley from the album Grace that came out in 1994. So... Leonard Cohen, for people who don't know anything about him, uh, he was a really great singer-songwriter and always... Was he a junkie? I'm trying to remember why he couldn't keep any money. He was always, like, down on his luck and miserable. <laughs> and it kind of comes through his stuff. Um, so, in this original, it's 12 and 8 time, which is kind of like early rock and roll gospel music kind of thing uh it was written in c major and the chord progressions are fourth and fifth and 
it's it's not quite like uptight Catholic church, but it's church. It's churchy. Supposedly, he wrote around 80 drafts for the verses for that song with one writing session at the Royalton Hotel here in New York where he was reduced to sitting on the floor in his underwear banging his head on the floor. (laughs) So he says. Yeah. Um, The original version on this album, uh, Various Positions, contains several biblical references, most notably evoking the stories of Samson and Delilah from the Book of Judges, as well as King David and Bathsheba. Um, You know, miserable Catholic. So the covers... Now, this thing has been covered by a million people, but these are the two most popular ones. That's why I picked it. So, uh, yeah, the John Cale was on that album, I'm Your Fan, which was a Leonard Cohen tribute album. And then he put it on a live album, Fragments of a Rainy Season, the following year in 92. Kale's version has vocals, piano, different lyrics that Cohen had performed, uh, such as, I used to live alone before I knew you, and some other stuff. And um, Kale watched Cohen perform the song and asked Cohen to send him the lyrics. And Cohen faxed Kale 15 pages of lyrics. And then he just went through and picked out the cheeky verses, so he says. So, this is something that has been played over and over again. It was in the movie Shrek. I don't know if anybody remembers that. And uh, Rufus Wainwright did a version that appears on the soundtrack album for Shrek. It was also used in the TV series Scrubs and Cold Case and uh, a bunch of other things. Now, the Jeff Buckley one, I think this is the most popular version. Everybody knows this because of his sad, tragic life. Um, It was released as a single in 2007, 10 years after his death. So first it was on the album, then it was released as a separate single. Um, His version was ranked 259 on Rolling Stone's The 500 Greatest Songs of All Time in 2004. And at that time, Time Magazine called Buckley's version exquisitely sung, observing Cohen murmured the original like a dirge, but Buckley treated the song like a tiny capsule of humanity, using his voice to careen between glory and sadness, beauty and pain. It's one of the great, greatest songs. So, everybody loves this song, and if Jeff Buckley was still around, people would still be kissing his ass over it. Uh, and it's good. I like it. But, uh, well, alright, we're going to listen to these, and then figure out who wins. Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the Thank you. 
And it's not a cry that you hear at night It's not somebody who's seen the light It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah 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 Yeah, so I think that uh, I'm not so sure. I think we all lose. <laughs> you know what? Me too. I mean, gee, yeah. I, I'm not. I don't give a fuck about that song. Yeah, I'm not really interested in that song. I I don't know why everybody and their mother covers it. So I don't know. Is it the tragedy of of Leonard Cohen and then Jeff Buckley? Like, what is the big deal? Yeah. It's okay. It's not the greatest. I just, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it doesn't stink. But it, what is so fucking great about it? Yeah, it's just, it's. I, I do. I think definitely think that is an overrated track. Way overrated. Way, way, way. And overcovered. Overrated. Yes. Overrated. Overcovered. Hallelujah. We don't have to talk about it anymore. All right. Song number five. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Not even choosing one. No. Uh, yourself, I can't, yeah. Uh, song number five is called Songbird. And the original was done by Fleetwood Mac from that monster album called Rumors. Room Hours, as I thought when I was a kid. Room Hours? When I was seven when it came out. I, well, because it had a U in it, and I, and I knew ru- Rumors didn't have a U in it, so what is this word? Well, room, yeah, hours. room Hours. I didn't know sense. about the difference between British English and American English. You know? <laughs> That's crazy. And then I have one cover done by Eva Cassidy that came out in 1998. You know about Eva Cassidy? Amy Cassidy? Eva? Eva Cassidy. I know the name, but I mean, you know, yeah. that's what I that's about what I know. Yeah, um I want to say what late 80s early 90s? Yeah. Yeah. Eight uh well 98. Late oh, 90s. 98. Okay, late yeah, 90s yeah. then. Late 90s. Um all right. So yeah, the original was done by the second version of Fleetwood Mac with Lindsey Buckingham and uh What's-Her-Face, Stevie Nicks, uh, was on Rumors. It was released as the B-side of the single Dreams, and it is one of four songs solely written by Christine McVie on the album. She frequently sings this at the, it's like the encore of Fleetwood Fleetwood Mac concerts. Um, And the song came to her as the band was finishing up a recording session at the Sausalito record plant. She wrote the song in about a half an hour around midnight, but didn't have anyone around to record it. To ensure she didn't forget the chord structure and melody, she remained awake the whole night. She she recorded that at Zellerback Hall at UC Berkeley. Yes. Oh, I'm so. Oh, is that was that in your <laughs> yeah yeah in your thing? Yeah, that's. I'm just saying that because I used to live over there and I just I've seen shows at that place and it's just like oh that's just like that was like a local place where I used to live and uh, it's like oh shit Songbird was recorded recorded in here. here yeah 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 it's pretty wacky. Um, Producer Ken Calliott loved the track and suggested she record it alone in a concert-style approach. Their first venue of choice, the Berkeley Community Theater, which was unavailable, so the band instead booked the Zellerbach Auditorium for March 3, 1976. To create the appropriate ambiance, Calliott ordered a bouquet of flowers to place on McVie's piano. Then he requested three spotlights to illuminate the flowers from above. <laughs> When McVie arrived at the auditorium, the house lights were dimmed, so her attention was immediately brought to the illuminated flowers on the piano. For the session, 15 microphones were placed around the auditorium to capture the performance, and the recording session went into the next morning due to the difficulty of recording the song live in one take. Lindsay Buckingham strummed on acoustic guitar offstage to help her keep the tempo. Which is interesting. Um, there was also a Rita Coolidge cover, but I'm going to spare everybody that. Because um, Rita Coolidge... Yeah, Rita Coolidge. So, Eva Cassidy 
this cover was released in 98 on her posthumous compilation album of the same name, Songbird. Despite being released two years after her death from melanoma, the album eventually reached number one in the UK in 2001. And, uh, oh, Willie Nelson also covered this on his who, own. Who I saw at Zellerback Hall once, live. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> shit. I, I saw him live at Zellerback Hall. Oh, freak Willie out. Nelson, he didn't do that song. Though. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, recorded on his own 2006 album called Songbird, making it the second album to be named after the song. And his thing peaked at 87 on the Billboard Top 200. So we're going to listen to these two and then pick a winner. We're going to pick a winner. make that song bland there eva uh way to make that song not even rec- like honestly what I, if you played that for me and didn't tell me what it was you, i wouldn't right away even know it was that song, song I know. and not because you know she so creatively did did a, an alternate version of it or an alternate arrangement she just made it so completely bland that yes. it just sounds like a thousand songs like probably sounds like all of her songs yeah super yawn super yawn what was the point of that I don't understand. Because it's not good. It's, uh, yeah. All those, yeah, it's not good. Uh, obviously, Fleetwood Mac wins. That yeah. that was terrible. I mean, I'm sorry you're dead, but that song stinks. Your cover is bad. Yeah, Christine McVie takes that trophy and yes. shoots to the stars with indeed, it. Indeed, indeed. All right. Here's the last song of this episode, and it is song number six, and it's called Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And the original version was recorded by its writer, Robert Hazard, in 1979. And the cover that bought his house 
was done by Cindy Lauper from the album She's So Unusual in 1983. Shit, he probably bought five houses. It's a hundred houses. <laughs> uh, so it was written and performed by Robert Hazard, who was in this... So he's a Philadelphia dude, so I knew this dude. And he had this band called Robert Hazard and the Heroes. And the big hit that he had was... Um, escalator of life we're shopping in the human mall we're riding on the escalator of life <laughs> i think that's that rings ah, a bell round and round do, 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 do. yeah it's so I mean, yeah it sounds like it sucks but <laughs> <laughs> it's so don't, don't get me wrong <laughs> it's just it's a time capsule of 1983 it's right perfection because he had the standard like pseudo rockabilly look with the Long pompadour and the leather jacket and the whole nine. Right, but, really but nice. maybe like the mulleted, uh, the yes, mullet version. Because in the eighties, if you're doing the fifties look, you had to have the mullet, mullet version of it. Exactly, like Brian Setzer. Yes, yes, yes. It, it was longer than Brian Setzer's too, but super nice dude. I knew that guy back in the day, and he was really nice. Um, so his version, it's, it was later. It was it's a demo. And then it was released after Cindy Lauper's came out. He released it to the world. And it sounds exactly like 1979. It's super muddy. and it's But it's like a new wave rave-up kind of thing. Like the difference between the two is night and day. So um, Cindy's version, it uh, part of the, the charm of this song is that it turned into like this feminist anthem. You know, girls just want to have fun. Women can do this and... That kind of deal. I never looked that deep into it. It was just a fun song. And the video was fun. Um, but she won a zillion awards for this thing. Um, it was on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in late 1983 through 84. It remains one of her signature songs and was a widely popular song during the 80s. Um, Rolling Stone MTV 100 Greatest Pop Songs and the 100 Greatest Music Videos and the 100 Greatest Videos, you know, whatever. It was all over the place. Um, it received Grammy Award nominations for Record of the Year and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. And it's been covered by a bunch of other people, but I'm not, I don't even want to... But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. And the video... Well, at least the, the first scene or so of the video was recorded on Gay Street in the West Village, in, 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 in Greenwich Village. That's correct. Yeah. That is correct. And, you know, we saw her mother was in it. That was really her mother. And Captain Lou Albano from wrestling with the rubber bands in his beard and all those kooky people. They just literally scooped them up off the street. Hey, you want to be in a video? Wow. Right. And they just jumped around the West Village. So um, we're going to listen to uh, the one that... Have you, you have you ever heard the Robert Hazard? Uh, I, I think I have, but I'm gonna need a refresher. Okay. Come home with the morning light. My mother said, "My boy, you better start living right." Don't worry, mother dear, you're still number one. Girls just wanna have fun. These girls just wanna have fun. So they really want some fun. So aside from like 800 generation <laughs> re-recording on that tape, yeah, it sounds like so you did it on the cassette four track. <laughs> Completely. Uh, what do you think about that original? Uh, it just sounds like 
all that shit, you know, all the all the kind of pseudo new wave guys. <laughs> it's just like okay, which got is it. a rip off of fifties. Oh, yeah, yeah, we got it a year ago. You fucking, you know, had bell bottoms with patches on your knees and a big walrus mustache, and this year you got a skinny tie <laughs> and short and a short crop tie. Got it, got it. <laughs> yeah, but I. I, I do, I guess maybe it's nostalgia. I do like that rave up version. I, I like it. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, man. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't like it better than Cindy Lauper's yeah, cover. Yeah, Cindy fucking runs off with that. Yeah, like, definitely. You know, she just, she just like runs off with it so fast it looks like she vanishes. Yeah, <laughs> but know? it's like, <laughs> yeah. But I heard. I mean, I saw him play this live. Yeah. In like nineteen eighty. 81 or something and they do did he do the 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 late 70s early 80s new wave by numbers vocal affectation of course okay because that's what i would be disappointed if that's not. what everybody had to do yeah and uh yeah when we go off the air i'm gonna play escalator of life <laughs> it was something a, to look forward to it was a huge hit all over philadelphia because there was a video for it wasn't it it doesn't matter anyhow that's the end of episode number 29 Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, I hope that you dig it. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Uh, what else do you do? Hashtag it. Oh, if you have suggestions, email me at djcrystalclear at me.com. And that's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-L-E-A-R. Um, but otherwise, you know, thanks for loyal fans for sticking around. Like Kim D. in Texas. Gotta love Kim. All right, I guess that's it. Happy motoring, everybody. Bye. I decided to get real with you. Yeah, you have to keep that. That's <laughs> No, I'm not gonna leave that on. Oh no, that's funny. You gotta leave that. You have to leave that on. That is hysterical.